Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 104 of the Real Life Runners Podcasts. When getting into running, many runners come from a place of trying to lose weight or get in shape. But as they continue running, they realize that their times are improving and they gradually start to question, how fast can I really get? And they start being more concerned about the time. So how fast can you get fast? This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So this episode is inspired by some of the questions in our Facebook group, our Real Life Runners Tribe. And if you're not a part of it, we would love you for you to be a part and for um, you to come and join us over on Facebook. You can find the link to that on the website, realliferunners.com. And you can also find a lot of other cool resources that we have for you guys over there, including some coaching programs and those kinds of things. So we thought this, this that this would be a really good topic because it's really a question that a lot of people have when they start thinking about their times. They start running, they start seeing what they're capable of, and then they're like, they try to get faster, but they're wondering how long is it going to take for me to get faster? Right, which is such a a weird arbitrary time in the first place because it's like time is this weird thing, but then what even is fast? And it's part of this thing that we've talked about before of, you know, I'm a runner and then people with this like qualifier on there, I'm a runner, but I'm not not a fast runner. Well, how fast do you have to be before you start considering yourself a fast runner? Yeah. So how long does it take you to get to this like arbitrary line that you've drawn in the sand? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, I mean, that's really what the short answer is, is, you know, there is no timeline. Like there, there really is no set timeline and what does fast mean to you? And those are some of the things that we're going to kind of be diving into and talking a little bit more about today. So let's start off by just talking about new runners in general. Now, new runners have a great advantage in setting personal bests. Massive advantage. Right? So we, we call them, in the United States, they're usually PRs, personal records. I know that in other countries, they're PBs or personal bests. It's like the metric scale. Everybody else calls them PBs, but we call them <laughs> PRs. Yeah, because we're Americans and that's what we do. So... You know, anytime you run a race for for the first time, you automatically set a PR because it's the first time you've ever run that distance. So that automatically is your best time. Which we celebrated like very enthusiastically on the Monday following our first race of the cross country season. We had 11 kids with PRs. Yeah. And 10 of them had run their first 5K ever. (laughs) Yeah, we love to point that out to our runners because it, it is, it's something to be celebrated. Like regardless of what that, actual number is like you just ran a race of that distance for the first time so regardless of what the clock says you should celebrate that right you can celebrate other things too not just like your fastest time but your longest training run ever like a workout that you never thought you could hit before these are all milestones these are all things that you can look at and whether it's a a specific number on a clock or whatever it's something to celebrate because it's something that you've never achieved before right new runners can start knocking them off like crazy and so there's a lot of of sort of excitement it's this snowballing effect of wow I just did that. Now what can I do? Oh, I just did that. Now what can I do? So they start reaching all these new goals and new levels of success simply because they're just getting in better shape. Yeah. Like we talk about this with our cross country runners a lot is, you know, especially our brand new runners, like our job is not to overtrain them and not to break them because they will gradually, they will 
naturally get faster yes. just by establishing consistency with their running. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a huge thing of literally just don't get them hurt. And over the course of the season, they will naturally get better. Right. And then you kind of get to the point where the times start to plateau, right? There comes that natural time where the times kind of start to plateau. Because in the beginning of the season, especially with these high school kids, um, but really this applies to any runner that comes into running and starts racing like when you start to race and when you start to run like you really have no idea what you're doing the first time you ever ran a 5k or a half marathon whatever that race distance is you have no idea what to expect like yes you've been training yes you've been running but like until you actually get into that race and realize how hard it is like you really have no clue what to expect some of that can be good some of that can be a little bad totally some of it's like I had no idea how much that was going to hurt so I just went for it Mm -hmm. and that's phenomenal we can discuss that a little bit more later but (laughs) some of it is is just getting into a race the first one's going to go a little awkward we've had kids and and training athletes that we've trained outside of uh, the high school also that go from one race to the next and they drop this huge amount of time Mm -hmm. and they didn't really do anything in their training they just had the experience of running that race so the second one went so much better we've had kids drop three minutes in a 5k from one week to the next Mm -hmm. yeah in week two they're dropping three minutes like they didn't just automatically get three minutes faster they're not that much better of a runner they just were probably a little too conservative going out the first time because they didn't know how to run a race so after that experience they kind of like oh okay like so that's what that was now I can maybe push myself a little bit more because I know that when I finish that race I still had more gas in the tank at the end of the run right but you get to a point where they start figuring out how to race they start getting their times a little bit faster and then it becomes more challenging to drop the time you know, it's it's one thing to take it from like a 45-minute 5K down to a 40-minute 5K. That's a five-minute drop. That's, that's substantial. To go from a 20-minute 5K to a 15 is also five minutes. That's a whole different ballgame. Totally different ballgame. Like most people cannot make that drop when, it, when you get to that number. Like most people cannot go from 20 minutes to 15 minutes. But I would argue that most people probably could go from 45 minutes to 40 minutes. Yes. So the faster your times get, the harder it is to drop significant amounts of time. And I think that a nice way to look at this is more in percentages versus actual numbers. Yeah, I was trying to avoid doing the math, but I like it. Well, we don't have to do the math right now, but I think that that is, it's true. Like if you drop 20 seconds from a 20 minute 5k, that's a much larger percentage than if you drop 20 seconds from a 45-minute 5K. Right. That's also the difference in PRing on like a 5K versus a marathon. Definitely. I mean, as the race distance gets longer, it is going to be easier to drop more time because you're out there running for longer periods of time. So you can take more time off of that time because there's a greater time and distance to work with. So once you get past the new runners and people who kind of evolve to a higher distance train, start hitting a new PR that they've never reached before, you get into the more seasoned runner who might get to a point where they're almost a little bit calloused towards PRs because the PRs are getting harder and harder to achieve. What do you mean callous? Like they don't like focus on them as much? Right. Because the PRs are so hard, you essentially have a couple of options. You either stop chasing the PRs mm-hmm. or you just completely double down and you just start grinding away like I have to hit this PR. And I don't think either one of them is really a, a great way of going at it. Mm-hmm. Of 
giving up is, is never going to be a good call. And usually just saying, I'm just going to keep pushing as hard as I possibly can is more likely to lead to burnout than to lead to a new PR and breakthrough. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense of why if you have a seasoned runner that's been chasing a PR race after race after race and hasn't really hit it, then they start to really question whether or not they're able to hit that goal, right? Because the goal then becomes this big thing that seems almost insurmountable. Right. Like every time you, you go for the goal and you, you come up a little bit shy, yeah. it seems, oh, that's something I can't reach. And mm-hmm. then you give it another shot and, and you miss and mm-hmm. that's something you can't reach. Whereas there's probably a lot of things that were outside of your control yeah. that were affecting your ability to actually hit that result. It might not have been your training. It could have been the weather. It could have been all sorts of things going on in that particular day that prevented you from actually reaching that time goal that you had in mind. Yeah, but every single time that you try to get it and you fall short, then that goal just seems like it's getting further and further away from you or higher and higher up on that pedestal. Up on the pedestal, that's what I was going to say. Right? That like all of a sudden it becomes this huge thing that has just grown into this monster that you can't overcome. Right. Yes. I'm trying to, to prevent that from happening with numbers that I have in my head for my own personal goals. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's just a number. It's literally just random numbers on a clock when I cross the finish line. That's mm-hmm. all it is. But for some people, those numbers can become these huge things that they, they start defining themselves by of which side of that number are you currently sitting on mm-hmm. as though that really actually defines you as a person. It, it really doesn't. It's just a number on a clock. Right. And I think that a lot of times when people pick those numbers, a lot of times those numbers come from comparison. Like they're comparing themselves to someone else or they're comparing themselves to some sort of arbitrary standard. I mean, arbitrary is you know, arbitrary as it may be, like a Boston qualifying time, like that (laughs) is, I mean, would you call that an arbitrary time? I mean, kind Mm. of, like they kind of just pick a number, like No, 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 there's a very good efficient crew of blue jacketed people (laughs) from the BAA that get together and there you go. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they pick a number based on the amount of applicants and the times that they hit, I mean, they just decreased the, the BQ times, you yes. know, the Boston qualifying times for next year because they had too many people that were qualifying. Yeah. I mean, over the last few years that you've had to beat your Boston qualifier time by like four or five minutes if yeah. you actually want a shot of getting in. Right. So, you know, what are you comparing this time? Like, what does that time even mean? Like, where does that time even come from? Because sometimes I think that when that goal is there, sometimes people actually forget why they set that goal in the first place. Well, yeah. And actually having a why behind it is, is super important. Or they get in the trap of, they went that safety move, which is, it, it's a great plan when you make a goal of, you have goal A and goal B. And goal A is like what happens on a perfect miraculous day where you've got a tailwind the entire time. Mm-hmm. And they come up short of that and they're disappointed. Mm-hmm. But like, they hit goal B. They hit goal B. And Goal A was only there for like you to be able to reach and strive for. Coming up short of that was not a failure mm-hmm. at all. Like you reached your goal, but you were like, oh, but I didn't reach that perfect goal. Well, it probably wasn't a perfect day. You right. can still keep striving for that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not like that then has to become this unreachable goal because you missed it the first time. You could then make that your your lower goal and reach for something even higher. I think that kind of keeps allowing you to keep stepping forward and not just this is this is this wall that you can't seem to climb up. Right. And I think that back to like that goal, like when when you're when you have that goal and that number is there and you keep falling short of it, then I think that 
the comparison trap starts to set in, right? And you start comparing yourself to other people and then you start to define yourself. Like some people can define themselves by that number. Like, oh, well, I guess I'm just not a fast runner. Like whatever that time is. Like, I guess I'm just not that fast. I must be a slow runner. Um, I can't train as much as other people who run that time or I'm not built to be that fast. Like there's all these excuses that we start to come up with as to why we can't reach that goal. Yeah. The, I'm a slow runner or I'm not built like the people that can run that one is, is phenomenal. Watch the finish line at the front of most races. You get a wide variety of shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. not built to run that time is just an excuse you're putting in front of yourself because then it's easier than actually pushing and trying to achieve that goal of, Oh, I guess I can't do it because of whatever limit you've decided to stick on top of yourself. Right. But then you also fall into the trap of if you don't actually believe that goal is possible, then why would you actually work hard to try to reach it? Right. So you've, you've put this limit on top of yourself of, oh, this is my goal, but uh, I'm a slow runner, so I probably can't reach it or I'm not going to be able to reach it. So now before you even started the training, you've said, I can't reach this goal. How, how hard are you going to train? Right. Because if you're not the person that's capable of achieving that goal, like even subconsciously, like a lot of times that I think that's important to point out too, is a lot of times this happens subconsciously. This isn't necessarily right in the forefront of your mind thinking like, oh, like I'm, I want to run a, a sub two hour half marathon, but, um, I I can't really do that because I'm a slow runner. That's usually not the the thought process, right? That's usually not. Like you set that goal, but then as the training goes or, you know, as the the miles start adding up or those kinds of things, like then that's when the excuses start coming in. Right. You get a workout that doesn't go smooth for you and you're like, ooh, that workout was the one that was going to help figure out how fast I could run and it went poorly. So I can't reach that goal. Mm -hmm. Or God forbid you have two or three workouts in a row that don't go well. You know, you hit a long run and you've got stomach issues in the middle of your long run. Now you start questioning everything. This just sends you down a terrible path. And then you start building up all of these things of like, well, that went poorly and this went poorly and this went poorly so I guess I can't reach the goal right you're building up evidence against it and the and then if you focus on that then why are you really going to try to work hard to try to achieve this goal that you're already collecting evidence that you're unable to achieve that goal Right. I mean, this is this is how goal setting and running perfectly flips over to real life is if you've got a goal out there and you don't think you can actually reach it, then you're just going to look around for reasons why you can't reach that goal. Yeah. Oh, people like that can reach that goal. That's not a goal that I can actually reach. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do it because I'm too busy doing this other stuff. So many excuses up there. And then you resist actually doing the actions that would ever actually achieve that goal. And lo and behold, you don't achieve the goal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so back to our seasoned runners, right? So like we said, the seasoned runners, sometimes if they haven't achieved a goal time after time, they'll just stop chasing the records. And then other people, and this might be the same person at different phases in their running as well, 100%. right? Like, so sometimes maybe you just decide, okay, well, I, that, I just can't achieve that goal. So I'm just going to stop chasing it. Or you're going to decide, you know what? Maybe I just need to push harder. Maybe I just, maybe I'm not working hard enough to achieve that goal. Right. So instead of 
really trying to figure out maybe some nuance to your training plan, you just start throwing everything at the training plan. You increase your intensity, you up your mileage, you double the distance on your long run, you're, you're throwing in extra cross training after most of your, your runs throughout the week. You're just, you're dumping everything into this. Yeah. So you're pushing harder on strength days or you're pushing harder on what's supposed to be your running recovery days or easy days. So the you never actually recover and then you lose all balance of like easy and hard days throughout your training cycle. Right. You've, you've basically given up on listening to your body. You're telling yourself the only way that I can achieve this goal is by telling my body, I'm not feeling the pain. I'm not feeling fatigued. I'm not feeling tired. And you try and do this day after day after day. Mm -hmm. And even if you make it through that training cycle, you're so mentally and physically exhausted by the time you get to the starting line I'm betting you're not hitting that PR anyway. Well, it definitely, I would say, decreases your chance and the likelihood of, of achieving that goal if you stand on the starting line already burnt out from your training. Right, because when it comes to the point in the race and the point shows up in every race where it starts hurting a lot and you still have to keep going or you have to find even another level to hit, if you're mentally drained from all of the weeks of training that you've put in, then you just, you don't have anything to pull. Like if you've been going deep into the well, like workout after workout and never putting in any sort of recovery days, you go to reach for it and there's just nothing there. You come up dry and you're like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to slow down for the rest of this race, Mm -hmm. which is really rough to watch. Right. So people that have the tendency to do this, like if, if that goal means something so much has become this huge insurmountable object, then that they decide to just keep pushing harder. Maybe they're not doing enough. Those people, as you can imagine, have the tendency to overtrain and then possibly get injured, burn out both physically and or mentally. Right. This, this one is, is very often the start of the injury cycle. Mm-hmm. And then, then you're hurt. Then you have to take like six to eight weeks off because, you know, that whatever doctors told you, you have to take six to, eight, six to eight weeks off because you got a stress fracture and whatever, and you lose some of your training. So now you're looking at it and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll just pick this next race. Now you're trying to cram all of your training into an even smaller window, but you're still going 100% at it and you're just going to end up hurt again. Mm-hmm. You need that balance. You need to actually be getting the recovery off of this. So you can actually reap the benefits, build the consistency month over month and year over year and not just keep training for a few months and then racing partially injured. Yeah. I think that a lot of people don't understand that you can still gain a lot of benefits from just repeating the same training plan again. And you don't really have to change much. Like maybe you tweak a little bit here and there, but you're the one that taught me this one because when I was training to try to set some new PRs in my races, I obviously looked to you for to create my training plan. And you would give me sometimes like the workout would be kind of the same. And I would be like, well, babe, why am I doing the same workout with these same paces if I want to get faster? Like I already hit this workout at this pace and I achieved this time goal, but I don't want to hit that time goal. I want to get faster again. So shouldn't my training paces be faster than that? Or God forbid I ever gave you the same workout and it was actually an easier pace. Yeah, <laughs> that I like, definitely didn't I don't understand. Know what, I don't know what's going on here. I'm like, <laughs> well, I added three extra reps 
next to it. So your your volume's up, and this is coming off. This is the Tuesday workout, and you just did a long run over the weekend, so it's a completely different workout because last time you did that workout, you had done five over the weekend. You just did 12 over the weekend, so it's a completely different workout. Small changes really add up. You know, if you just go through the same plan and suddenly you do the exact same plan, but you're sleeping better. Like, if you run a plan with a newborn... (laughs) And then you run a plan, the same exact plan the next year with a one-year-old, you're still not probably sleeping great, but you're probably sleeping a little bit better. Mm -hmm. You know, you run the exact same plan the next year with a two-year-old who's now on an actual sleep cycle and just watch what happens to the PRs. It's the same plan, but suddenly you're you're sleeping on a normal basis. You're eating on a normal basis. Like you've got some, some stability in in the other side of your life and you're able to reap benefits that you didn't even see coming before and you probably have established more of a consistency like all of those miles add up and build like so so say the example you just used that's two years then of running under your belt that then takes you to a place where you have this much larger base behind you so that you're then able to go into that training plan with a different mindset in a different base so you're able to hit those workouts better, stronger, faster, and reap more benefits, which then will lead to better results. Right. And so over that time, maybe you can increase a little bit, but you don't have to suddenly say, well, instead of running 30 miles a week, I'm now going to up it to 60 miles a week. Over the course of that time, if you're a 30 mile a week person, because that's the time you have to give to your, your training, maybe you can find a little extra time as you gain some consistency in other areas of your life that you move it up to like 35 that's over a 10% gain in volume. You're going to get benefits from that. Instead of hitting quarter mile repeats at, you know, two minutes, you start hitting them in a minute 50. That's substantially lower. You don't suddenly have to start hitting them in a minute and 30. Like it's not a completely different system that you're going with. It can be very, very similar to what you've done or the exact same thing as what you've done and you can get substantially different benefits. Yeah, and I think that you you can also change your mental game too. Like you can change your mental strategies. It doesn't all have to be just the physical training plan. It doesn't just have to be focused on how many miles am I running, how much speed work am I doing, you know, what am I hitting my intervals in, what are my quarter repeats at, like all those numbers and systems and you know all the numerical based stuff the objective numbers like what about your mental game like what can you do to also strengthen your mental game that will allow you to overcome those mental hurdles and break through some of those plateaus yeah that's a great point like if you're in there and sometimes it's all you can do in running to just be like okay tell me how fast i'm supposed to hit these half mile repeats and i'll i'll do it because you don't have any more mental capacity other than just give me the number and i'll hit it I'll find a way and I will hit it. Mm-hmm. But when you do, when you can just actually go through the workout and and think about what you're doing and realize the pain and, and think about the techniques that are getting you through these workouts, you're now gaining new race strategies. You're gaining mental tactics to handle different discomfort that's going to show up during the race. You're able to show up at the starting line mentally capable of having a breakthrough. Right, but even if you use that same training plan and go through it again and don't change one thing. Maybe the second time you do it, you are a lot stronger. Like you're feeling a lot stronger in those workouts, even if your times maybe weren't that much different, but just you're feeling at the end. Like maybe the first time 
you went through that plan, every workout was brutal. You know, you, but when you finished that workout, you were just dead and you were spent. The second time you go through, maybe like you finish that workout and you're like, oh, that was good. You know, like you just were stronger afterwards or during those workouts and you could tell the difference. Well, I mean, physically and mentally. Yeah. I've, I got a connection to, to my college training with that one is there were workouts that I went through and I was trying to keep up with people who were substantially faster than me. And so it was a workout that was supposed to be a level like seven. And at the end of the workout, we're on cooldown and the other guys are like chatting with each other because they totally ran it at level seven and I ran it with them. At like a level nine. Nine, nine and a half. Yeah. <laughs> dry heaving off on the side of the road. Like whatever level that was, mm-hmm. that was my level. If if you try and hit the same plan and now suddenly you're you're achieving at different effort levels, the same paces, you're going to get different actual physical benefits from that. Right. So that brings us back to the original question, which yes. is how fast can you get fast? Now you type this in. I had to like read it a couple of times. I'm like, <laughs> what is he he's saying here? Like, so how quickly can you get faster? Like when you start running, when you start a training plan, whatever it might be. Like if you set a goal for yourself and say you want to run a Boston qualifier, say you want to run a half marathon in a certain time, like how long is it going to take you to achieve that goal? Like what is a reasonable amount of time? Yeah, reasonable. That's a fun word Mm -hmm. because it kind of depends on what you consider reasonable Mm -hmm. and how um, achievable that goal is in your head. Right. I think it depends on a a couple of different things. Like, number one, like, what plan did you use to reach that first result? Did you even use a training plan or did you just go out and run a race? Number two, how different is your training now versus then? Number three, how bad do you actually want it? And number four, why do you want to have that faster time? Ooh, those last two are rough. A little connected, and, mm-hmm. and that that's kind of a key one there. Yeah. Um, let's start easier yeah. with uh, what was the original plan that got to where you were at. Yes. You know, if you literally were like, oh, I'm going to run a 5K, so you signed up for a 5K and ran a 5K, mm-hmm. you don't have a training plan. Right. So you can probably improve your 5K time pretty easily from that one. By following a training plan. Yeah. Does it matter what it is? Not all that much. Not that much. Like, does it matter all the details of that? Probably not. Like, especially if this is like your second one. Like, you ran a 5K once, and then for the second one, if you follow a structured training plan, you're probably going to get faster. Right. I mean, even if you just have some consistency, if you went from like, oh, you know, I kind of work out at the gym periodically and I thought I'd run this local 5K and then you go from that to just running for three months and then run another 5K, you're going to be substantially faster. Right. All right. So that one's easy. Yeah. Okay. Um, So the second one is it depends on how different the training is from what you just did. Right. So let's say you actually train for a race. Yeah. Let's let's talk about maybe some seasoned runners. Right. So you're you're trying to then determine: Are you still literally just getting in shape, or are you focusing and you're more race specific? Okay. And this I think depends on um, on your age, your running age, mm-hmm. not your actual chronological, but how many years you've been in running, how many miles you're used to. Okay. You know. And is why it, does it depend on that? It's the it's the buildup of miles. It's mm-hmm. the buildup of experience. You know, um, the more the more you've run a race, the more comfortable you are with that distance. The, the less almost intimidating it is. First time you sign up for twenty six, that's an intimidating number. But if mm-hmm. you if you've run a few, it just becomes a, a little bit less scary because you know you've made it to the finish line before. Okay, that's true. Oh, you're in shape for it, but now you're you're like, okay, well, what can I actually do with it? Right. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking before about whether you should just repeat the same training plan 
or do you actually need like a training plan overhaul? Like, were you going from something where you were just going out and, and running and now you've got like a completely new plan. You've got something that is more race specific. That's got this sort of build up to it. It's got some speed that's honing in towards it. Like there's some purpose to the plan. That's probably going to get you a, a substantially different result. You might not have needed the plan overhaul, but if you've got a substantially different plan, and and you follow it and you're able to stay healthy with it, it's probably going to get you a, a much better improvement. Yeah, a lot of the beginning training plans out there, regardless of what distance we're talking about, a lot of them are just miles. Like they just yeah. map out the number of miles and they don't really incorporate a lot of the speed work or different effort levels throughout the training. So by incorporating some of that into your training plan, you can see good results. So maybe that's not necessarily an entire training plan overhaul. Maybe it's just adding in a little bit more of the tempo work or a little bit more of the speed work so that you can start firing different muscle fibers and improving your muscle recruitment and all that stuff. Then that can reap um, or that can result in better outcomes. Right. Or it's the same plan, but it's the same plan with some actual mental training thrown over the top of it. So now instead of this goal being some insurmountable thing, you've now actually visualized, you've gone through, you've done some thought thinking on this and figured out this is a goal that I can achieve. I'm, I've built my consistency. You're adding in the, the supporting stuff to the training plan and not just going out there and running, not just going out there and hitting a clock, but you're adding in the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is absolutely huge. Because ultimately, there is no magic training plan out there. There are training plans that might be better suited for you, for your runner age, for your body type, for all of these things. But a lot of times, it's just the consistency and the buildup of the miles and all of the training and the mental blocks and the mental um, strategies that you build up over time that's going to lead to better race results. Yeah. So stop just leaping from plan to plan because there isn't a magic bullet out there that's suddenly going to make racing easier for you. Right. But it's a good (laughs) idea to change your training plan if you've used the same one over and over and are starting to find a certain plateau. Yes. Also very true. So that kind of takes us into point number three, which is how bad do you want it? Like, what does that goal require? Because a lot of times, (laughs) a lot of times, depending on what the goal is, like those can be painful things to achieve. Like Kevin just said, like we talked about five K's before five K's should be painful. And we tell our cross country kids this all the time. Like you should not, there should be no point in the race where you're feeling comfortable. Sure. There should standing at the starting line, (laughs) like with the gun still in the air, feeling good, feeling real. Well, that's good. when the like you know pre-race jitters and anxiety comes in too, right? No, no, no. When the gun's up in the air, the jitters are gone. You just have that like brief rush of adrenaline before you start running. Mm-hmm. There's no more jitters. It's just like, man, I feel phenomenal. Then they fire the gun, and then it's just pain for the next three miles. Right. So, th- how bad do you want that time result? Means how much pain are you willing to sustain during that race in order to achieve that? Because we know as runners, like. So much of this is mental, like 80 to 90% of this, I would say, is a huge mental game of just being able to continue to push yourself. Like there are things that your body is able to do that you really have no clue because you haven't been able to push yourself to that level. Like, are you pushing yourself to the level where you're like puking and passing out? Like, no, then you probably have more levels that you can push to. (laughs) Like, and, and I don't, I don't mean to be callous by that, but it's true. Like if you are 
not pushing yourself to that point that there are there's definitely points that you can continue to push yourself to and how willing are you to start to dip your toes into those levels well yeah i mean if you've ever ran a race and ended with a pretty strong finishing kick that means that your body was holding back like because when you're able to actually see the finish line and you're just like oh there's the finish line now i have this gear you had that gear five minutes ago you just didn't want to use it, but that gear was there. Your body was straight, your body and mind kind of go together and they try and keep doing this sort of like subconscious math of like, how far away is the finish line? How much time do I have? How much fuel am I doing? How much pain am I in? And it adjusts your pace off of that and your ability to tell your body, it's not that bad. It's not that much pain. That level of fatigue means I'm going fast enough that it's a, it's a tricky thing. Um, one of the things I wrote down here is actually the closer you've gotten to your goal. Like, let's say that you want to run, I don't know, 145 for a half, and you've run 146, Mm -hmm. and you know how painful 146 was. (laughs) In your mind, standing at the starting line, are you actually fully prepared to do that again? And do a little bit more than that, really. Like, you you couldn't get out of bed the next day. (laughs) Are you ready to go there again? Plus a little bit more. That's so funny because I've actually had this thought recently, like during like some of my training, like I was doing like some, I think quarter repeats at like 5k pace. And I'm like, oh man, these are only quarters. Like I know how bad this hurts now. And I know how bad this hurts or how bad it hurt during a race to run this time. Like, do I really want to get faster than that? Right. So, I mean, how bad do you want it matters yeah. substantially for your ability to actually drop time and hit a PR. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, when it starts hurting, you'll just start slowing down. Yeah, even if it's subconsciously. Yeah. Like, you just will not try to get to that next level. Right, exactly. And then, ultimately, it all just boils down to your why like most running does like what is your why why do you want to have that faster goal why do you want to achieve that faster time your desire for that result and then what follows the effort that you're going to put into actually achieving that result is directly connected to why that goal actually exists in the first place if that goal is not connected to something really deep when it starts getting hard, that goal will become a little bit more meaningless to you. Right. Like if it's just some arbitrary number or if you're comparing yourself to someone else, like it's going to be harder to reach unless that comparison really means something to you for some reason. And it might. Like there might be some person out there that you want to be faster than. I mean, this was one of your big Um, motivators in high school and in college, right? Like there were people or teams that you guys wanted to beat. And we have the same thing with our kids in cross country. Like there are rivals. Yeah, That's a real thing. They know. We got kids that are like, hey coach, which teams are going to be there? Because there's a kid that I need to beat. Right. Like, oh, like not a kid that I want to beat, not a kid that I need to say hi to. No, no, no. There's a kid I need to beat was Mm -hmm. the phrase that was used. Like, oh, okay. I mean, when I was in high school, I knew exactly who I would be running with in in all of the races. there was a group of about 10-ish, and we were on probably four different teams, mm-hmm. and all those teams were vying for the win right. at that meet. So it mattered which ones you beat. And yeah. the direct comparison there, like, oh, okay, that, that hill, that really steep hill that shows up at two and a half miles into the 5K, 
it matters whether you push up that hill or not. Are your legs screaming for you to stop? It doesn't matter because the kid from the other team just shot up the hill, so you better go catch him. Right, so it's that sense of pride, really, that you were chasing of beating that kid, or it's the sense of showing up for your team and not letting them down. Right, because after the race, we always had that group meeting where it was like, how'd this race go for you? And you know, like, whether you beat the kid or not, you wanted to show up at that meeting and be able to say, I I gave everything I possibly could to make sure that I was with that guy because I know that you were trying to beat the guy with you and I know that you were trying to beat the guy in front of you. Like, I know that everybody here on this team was pushing as hard as they can, so I wanted to make sure that I was pushing as hard as I could. Yeah, but I think that that works well in the team setting, like in cross country. Yes. I don't think there's as much of that for the real life runner. It's, it's a harder connection, right? I think that's where it gets a little trickier because there's not necessarily someone person that you want to beat or some one team that you're trying to beat that's going to motivate you to run faster. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's that person that you probably saw at the 5k a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, there might be, you know, like there might be a person like, especially you, like, trying to win races. Like There's some people around that I'm like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Shoot, he's at this race. Yeah. <laughs> this one's, this one's going to get real today. Mm-hmm. So some, some people might experience that, but I would say most real-life runners are fighting against themselves. Like, it's, it's more of an internal struggle. It's more of an internal battle. So really, you have to be so connected to your why so that when – times get rough, which they will, when you're racing, you're going to hit a patch. Like it doesn't matter how long that patch is. There's going to be a patch, most likely somewhere in the race where you're going to have to dig a little deeper to find another level where you can push a little bit harder. Yeah. So I think one of the questions you're trying to answer here is, um, who are you trying to prove? Who are you trying to prove this to? Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? Yeah. Like what exactly are you trying to prove? Like what does this time goal mean to you? What are you trying to prove by achieving this goal when you achieve this goal what will that mean to you like is it because someone else did it and you think you're as fast as that person and so you should be able to hit that time too is it because you want to be faster than someone else is it because that time just seems like it holds a certain status to you or to the running community for some reason like is it some sort of arbitrary number though They're all arbitrary numbers. I mean, all of my goals, I'm thinking about them as I was typing this thing up. Like, all of my goals are truly arbitrary numbers. Some of them have nice round zeros on the the end of them. Right. But that's still just an arbitrary number. But why... But they have meaning to you. Right. And, And that's the key. Like, why does this matter to you? Like... Yes, it might be an arbitrary number, but that still might have meaning to you. Like in the grand scheme of things, okay, like it's it's probably not that big of a deal if you run a one forty five versus a one forty six. However, why? But for some reason, that number means something to you, and I think that that's the important part. Like it's okay to to for an arbitrary number to mean something to you, but just understand what that meaning is. Like what is the meaning behind it? Yeah, because then when it starts getting really, really hard in the race, you can dig on that. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what my meaning is behind the marathon, and it's it's rough, and it's and it's stupid. Like, I know that the, the why behind my marathon goal is this silly thing that happened in college, but it's what I cling to. And, and it's something when it starts really, really hurting in the race that I can still think back, and I can hear the exact words coming out of my coach's mouth, and I can cling to that and be like this. This is why I'm pushing. This is why I've got to dig right here. Mm-hmm. 
So ultimately, I think that it's really good to have a goal in mind and a direction to go in because as a runner that wants to improve, you need to have a direction because the direction allows you to then have a map, which is that training plan, and that is going to allow you to achieve different goals and to push harder and to really find things in yourself that you might not have ever found before. And that's ultimately what running does. Like ultimately running helps us to learn more about ourselves and who we are. And it allows us to become more of the people that we want to be. Yeah. So trying to answer the question of how fast can you get faster is kind of tricky because it goes back into the goal setting and the connection to your why. And I don't know if I can give you a specific timeline of it'll take you two months to take 10 minutes off of your half marathon time. Like I, I don't have that number. It's it, that number is truly inside of you because whatever you want to achieve, even if that it sounds ridiculous and unreasonable and impossible, it's not. It's just a matter of how focused you are on it, how badly you actually want that thing, how much you're willing to push, how much pain you're willing to endure. Right, and it also goes back to the idea of you can be in control of the goal, you just might not be in control of the timeline. And the sooner you accept that fact and just continue to do the things that are going to allow you to achieve that goal, you will be able to achieve it. You might have to change the timeline. Like maybe you'll achieve it faster than you thought you would. Maybe it'll take you a little bit longer than you thought. Like, But ultimately, as long as you are doing the things and taking the steps to achieve that goal, your success is inevitable. It's just a matter of when. Right. Because if you, if you go past that part where your success is inevitable, then you just start trying to push and you start trying to force it. And the more you try and force it, the more likely you are to get injured, to get burnt out. And that's just going to extend your timeline even more. Just keep putting in the work, keep showing up, keep the consistency and the goal will come to you. We hope you found that helpful And if you're still wondering about some mistakes that you might be making as a runner, we have a new ebook that we have just written and created for you. And you can find that over at our website, realliferunners.com. It is free. It is all about um, 12 of the common mistakes that a lot of runners make and what you can start to do to correct some of those. So if you want that free resource, please head over to our website, realliferunners.com. You can click and get it right there and it'll, it will be emailed directly to you. And we would love for you to read that and share it with a friend. Um, and then we also have like a surprised gift that comes along with that as well. We have an audio training that comes along with that after you download the ebook as well. So for that, head over to the website, realliferunners.com. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 104. Now get out there and run your life.